Hello. Good morning, sir. How are you? Hi, Dan. How are you? Pretty good. Pretty good. You having a good morning? Ah, b- busy morning. Really good. Really busy. Why, why are you busy? What are you doing? Well, we I uh, we finally after seems like I've told this story every time that it happens, but uh, this time. I think we finally found an office space that will work that's the right size and is in the right location and is affordable after like two years of looking around unsuccessfully and finding kind of temporary spaces and having to move all of this stuff into temporary spaces. I think I finally found a good one. Well, that's a good feeling. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I, it, it's, it's much better. It's the right size, you know, it's not too small. It's not too big. It, and, uh, so I've been like painting it the last few days because the color that they had in there was just, uh, it's like this terrible almond, like orange almond. It's, ugh, it's just terrible. Yeah. And like, if you sign a three year lease, they'll, they'll do a build out, which is uh code for, they will paint. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. But I didn't sign a three year lease, so I'm painting it painting it myself exciting have you ever painted are you a, like a guy who paints no i mean not unless i have to i won't do anything unless i have to um <laughs> uh i think painting can be uh can be very meditative the actual painting part is not that hard yeah. it's one of those classic kind of metaphors because uh, the hard part is to get to move all your furniture out and you got to tape all right and then you got to put up uh the the drop stuff and uh, I don't know, it can be very meditative. People charge a lot for painting, Dan. No, I know they do. And that's part of why I'm, I'm doing it myself to save money because, and it is, it is nice. There is something very pleasant about it. And I remember a friend of mine, he had gotten into aeronautics school, aeronautical engineer is what he was going to be and in college. And he found out that his mom had spent all of his inheritance and trust money and he couldn't afford to go. So he did the next logical thing, which was he became a house painter. Mm. And he told me that, that it was just like you're saying, like uh, so much of it is the prep work that you will spend hours and hours taping and laying tarps and all of that and getting the right stuff and setting it all up. And the actual painting you know, like this morning, I probably spent 45 minutes taping stuff and 15 minutes painting three walls, you know, <laughs> it's a, you're like, wow, but it, it pays off. And like that now did, was it you who said you haven't yet read Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance? That was our conversation like last week, right? I have said, I have said that. Yes. Okay. Uh, because in, oh that, yeah, yeah, yeah. We on the show. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned a lot. And then I always say I should read that. Right. One of the things that I'm interested in both of the topics to some extent. Yes. And it's, I've, a, it I've, is, read, I've read about Zen in the past and uh, I was on a motorcycle once when I was a kid. <laughs> I don't know a lot about maintaining them, but I, I'm intrigued to see how they resolve that in the book. Right. Well, one of the things that's really neat is the way that the author describes his process for working on a motorcycle. And I, it applies so well to working on anything, but it's that, it goes back to that Anthony Burgess sort of the do easy. If you've if you've ever heard of the do easy philosophy Googling of like it. taking your time and and thinking things through and like the way that he describes like laying out each of the pieces. Like when you take a screw out or a bolt out, you take it and you put it here, and then the next one goes in the next space and clearing your workspace. <laughs> and you've talked so much about like food preparation and 
um, Mizen Place, if I'm saying that right. And yeah, Mizen Place. So I watched the Mizen Place challenge from season six on uh, Top Chef. Top Chef last night. Nice. It's a great. That's a. If you're gonna watch a season of Top Chef, it's all on Hulu. You got You got You got to watch season six. It's the best. All right, jotting that down. Jotting that down. Zen and the art of Mizen Place. Yes, but so that you screws and you put them in order. Part. You're doing. You're knowing your screws. Right. Ex- no. Exactly. Who's calling me during our show? New York. Goodness, it sounds like it might be Tinkerbell. Yeah, I think I change my ringer frequently to keep, keeps me on my toes. Oh yeah, New York. But it's it's like that with painting, and I find that if I do that, things stay more organized. They stay cleaner. You've got your nice peace of mind. That like you know the paper towels are not half unrolled, laying in the middle of the floor for for me to trip on. They're right there on the uh, by the paint can, which is where I'm going to need them because. When you pour the paint, it spills, you know, so that kind this, of thing. this is actually an interesting topic to me. Um, <laughs> that didn't sound like faint praise. Good job, Dan. You sound interesting for once. <laughs> no, I think this is an interesting topic. It's, it makes me think of a couple things. Um, uh, I'm not familiar with either of those things, but it does remind me of a couple of real world things from just very recently. What is that? Uh, I don't know where I first read this. I think it's related to stuff around mise en place. And mise en place is just the idea that when you're working in a kitchen, you get things set up. Uh, a certain way that there's a philosophy, almost a very practical philosophy in uh, running a kitchen that involves, uh, we've talked about this before, but just for people who haven't heard it, uh, that involves the preparation of the pre-preparation of the food, but also kind of the preparation of the area. Uh, and it's an idea that you can extend to lots of things. I know you know this, but for example, uh, mise en place in like on Top Chef, that, that means stuff like the mise en place challenge is awesome because basically you, uh, you got to go and you're, you break into these teams with four people and they do a relay. And then that version, mise en place, means one person has to crack open 15 clams. Uh, another person has to clean uh, like a pound of shrimp or something like that. Uh, another person uh, has to clean lobsters. And the last person has to clean and French mm-hmm, uh, a rib roast. So you got to get two like tomahawk rib chops out of a rib roast, which is a lot harder than it sounds. And so that in that version, mise en place is the way you prepare food before you cook it in some ways. But the other part of mise en place is, and I'm going somewhere with this, is the preparation of your area. And as we said before, if you've ever seen the movie Ratatouille, it's sort of, you know, you, you get the idea when uh, What's Her Name is showing uh, Linguini how to work in the kitchen. So it's this idea of working clean. I think it's a very interesting concept. You're, what you're describing partly is working clean or clean as right, you go. Right. Which, God, that'll just change the way that you work in the kitchen. Because it's, it's no fun to work in a dirty kitchen. Like, first you have to clean the kitchen before you can cook, right? You don't want to have an area. Uh, is this okay? Can I go with this for a yeah, second? Yeah, I love it. Yeah, so, I mean, like, when you're working in the kitchen, in particular, like, you don't want to work around, like, old food and dirty pots and, sh- and dull knives and, like, a, a pile of, like, cereal bowls from yesterday. Like, that's right. no fun. No. So, you kind of have to clean before you even start to do cooking stuff. I guess you could do some things. And then once you do that, you have to think about, okay, so what is the thing that I'm making? Well, I'm going to make this kind of meal. So, let's say, let's say you're going to make a rib roast. Well, then you got to think about, like, do you need to preheat the oven? Do you have the ingredients that you need? And then you set up your little area with, like, the knife that you need here and the seasonings there. And do you take out every seasoning you could use? No. You tend to take out the seasonings you're going to need. If you're going to make an omelet, you know what goes in an omelet. So I don't know. I think those things are super interesting. But that clean as you go thing, I don't know. There's, there's an element of like, what's that they say about like how deadly it is to like refactor code while you're working on it? Yeah. There's an element of like, you've got to make a little bit of a mess. But you know, you don't want to, unless you have a, uh, a plunger that works in your kitchen at home, you're going to have to do a lot of your own dishes. But the other part of this, I really thought about it last weekend. 
I've mentioned this a couple other places, but we had um, the annual carnival at my kid's school, which is a fundraiser. And it's, you know, it's one of those classic kind of school things. It was a tremendous amount of work for an okay amount of money, but a lot of people work really hard. And I was, I was talking to somebody there. I was, I was on cleanup. So it's the end of the day. And like, it reminds me of this other phenomenon that I think relates to what you're talking about, where you think about any project, like you have all this not much happening for a while. And then you have this tremendous blast of right, right, right. what you're doing. And you get lost in all the stuff that you have to do, whether you're managing or implementing or somewhere in between. Like all day long, you're just going, going, going. My wife had 23,000 steps on her Fitbit that day. Just basically spending the entire day inside of a, you know, the whatever, two by two block area of a school. But, you know, it's funny though, because we got to the end of the day and like we're cleaning up and it starts to feel, is it recursion? What's the effect where you're standing three feet from a wall and you take half a step toward the wall and you go, ooh, I'm almost to the wall. If you take another half step to the wall, you go, I am nearly touching the wall. And the truth is, it's like fractals. Like if you take only half steps to a wall, you will never actually reach a wall. Because oh, you're no, always- I know what you're talking about. Yeah. And that's how it feels when you're cleaning up. That's how it feels when you're moving. That how, that's how it feels when you're painting. And that's also how it feels when you're working on a lot of projects. Like you think about moving your house. There's this blast of the, the first, a lot of stuff doesn't happen for a while. There's planning. Then there's the day the movers come to take the big stuff. So your couch is gone. Your bed is gone. Your dining room table is gone. Like your house looks practically empty. You go, wow, that, that wasn't so hard. And you go, oh yeah, right. We got all the stuff in the closets. You go, okay, I got to take everything out of these closets and put them in these hanger boxes, right? You go, oh, okay, well, the closet's empty. That's better. Oh, there's lots of boxes up there. And you open a box and the box has like two other boxes in it. (laughs) And you go, oh, there's all this stuff. Do I want to just pack this or should I sort it? Then you get to the drawers, you get to the junk drawer in the kitchen and it feels like it's never going to end. It's like you suddenly realize like there's that giant blast of activity at the beginning that's the equivalent of the first half step toward the wall. And then like, it could take you like a week to do all those little tiny things. It looks empty, but it's not. There's still so much stuff to do. And did you think about the backyard? Oh, what about the stuff in the backyard? What, what about the stuff in the side? Like, you know, there's all this stuff that you still have to do. I'm sorry, I'm ranting now. But I don't know. I think it's an interesting way to think about projects because it's, it's easy. The part of a project, whether it's painting or uh, making a podcast or whatever, there's a part that's pretty easy to see, which is like when we're estimating how long it'll take to do something and how much effort it'll need. You go, oh, a podcast, that's pretty much about like recording of two voices. And then I guess you got to edit it or whatever. And you're like, oh, cooking a meal. You buy a big bird and put it in a hot oven. That's pretty easy. <laughs> right. Or like, I'm going to paint this place. Oh, I get some paint and I put it on the walls. But I think, I think part of our estimating problems and part of our implementation problems come from like the like ridiculous amount of things you didn't account for as you make that, that second step and subsequent. And that's where you go like, oh my gosh, where did my week go? Like, how did I, I had, I, I, I thought I had these like two big things to do, but I had like these two big things, then another big thing, then seven medium-sized things and 190 tiny-sized things. Right. If you account for all of that, like it, it shouldn't surprise us that stuff is hard to complete. Well, and that's something that I think comes with, and I remember, you know, back in my early days when, I was just starting out working and I knew more than everyone and I knew more than my boss and I knew more than the founder of the company. Uh, and I was just so smart and I had everything together. I had all the answers. And I remember I would ask my boss, well, can we do this thing? And they would say, no, I, I don't think so. I'm like, why? And it'll take too much time, too much effort, too many resources. I'm like, no, it won't. It's easy. Take an hour. And that, you know, that's the whole concept of, 
time management and the experience of like being being on the job and in your profession for a long enough time to be able to think through those details that you're describing like quickly like once you've once you've like i think you're talking we're talking about moving but another one that always comes up to me is like the buying and selling of a house you know like we're selling Mm -hmm. our house and buying a new one all of the work that's involved in that and all the little steps and processes of you know getting the getting the thing uh inspected by the multiple different people that have to get there and coordinating all of that and having the guy out and do the survey with the little tripod thing and like all of that stuff needs to happen just to make your offer go through that if you've never done it before it's this bizarre kind of science it's the, all of these moving pieces but when you've done it three or four times now you know that when the real estate agent says well closing it's probably going to be 30 to 60 days maybe more you're like why right, it's just signing right. some documents like because that's stupid. because to, to to quote um the music man you, you got to know the territory like in, <laughs> in that case he's what he's a what he's a music man um <laughs> like where that person has done it so many times that they know they know how long that takes. Right. And I think we've all, we've all got things that are like that. Um, um, a couple episodes ago on Reconcilable Differences, uh, Syracuse and I were talking about Disney World and like the past and future of Disney World. And he mentioned that he went there on vacation. I was saying, oh, I'd love to go there on vacation. And he mentioned that his family, you can get like a Disney planner. I don't know if it's a Disney like licensed person or employee, but you can have somebody whose job it is to figure out your, your, your three to five or seven days at Disney world. Yeah. And on the face of it, that sounds ridiculous. Like, why would you, I mean, you know, it's almost like, why would you need a travel agent anymore? You just go to kayak. Right. But, but you know, when you think about it though, it really makes sense. Like, where are you going to stay? How old are your kids? What do you like to do? What do you like to eat? Like there's all of these things to take into account. When you take this big ball of something called Disney world and actually break it down, you go, Oh, that's interesting. You know, do we really want, you know, this third day to be this action packed? Or might, might we be a little tired and want to go a little bit easier that day? Or like John says, the way you plan, it's just like where you plan meals, where you're going to have this meal. Have you accounted for how long it takes to get from here to there? And will that actually disrupt the day? So that makes me think of when I was a little kid, I told you the story, but I was probably seven, 10, probably seven. But anyway, I got off the plane. And uh, my parent, my grandparents picked me up at the airport and I produced this list that I had made on the plane of, of what we would be doing. And I said, well, uh, you know, I really want to go to uh, Walt Disney World, Magic Kingdom. I really want to go to Busch Gardens in Tampa. And I really want to go to SeaWorld in Orlando. And I've, I've got this planned out. And I said, so here's what we'll do. Um, the thing is, you know, it's going to be a little difficult because, you know, SeaWorld and Disney World are pretty close to each other. So I'm thinking we could do like both of those in the morning tomorrow uh we'll go to disney world and then orlando and then in the afternoon on the way back to st pete or to clearwater where they live we'll just we'll go into bush gardens and of course they all cackled with laughter like you could not go to three theme parks in the same day you don't even have to be an expert at theme parks you just need to know how maps work in order to realize how silly that was but i was thinking about how excited i was to go to theme parks where they of course (laughs) being retired people in their 70s knew better so i mean that's that's why when you get there's some things where like you just need to get the whiff of somebody's crazy idea and you can immediately go. I don't even need to know all the details of that. I, I mean, this, think about this with projects. Think about this when, not to beat up on, you know, biz dev and marketing people, but when somebody walks in and, and asks for a feature right. while you're in the middle mm-hmm. of working on another handful of features that have been carefully mapped and they say, you know, as we used to, the joke we used to make about those folks was we call them the just, it, it's just a button people. <laughs> 
Like, can you uh, can you uh, create a log uh, log cabin channel by uh, by Monday? I could get some uh, eighty cent CPM ads if we had a log cabin channel. And I was like, I I know what all of those words mean technically, but I, I what you just described to me, like, no, that's pretty easy. You just you have a little graphic on the homepage and then a button that takes you to the log cabin channel. And I was like, what? okay, so it's just a button. Like, uh, who's going to make a log cabin channel? How's it going to be on the homepage? Where's the content come from? And how do we do that in a weekend? You know. You don't even have to know the details of the of the insanity to realize that it's insanity. I love that. And that's so true. And it's so true in business and so true in like your personal life. All of these things kind of culminate around these like transitions that we make. Like, okay, it's time to move. We're moving our office. We're moving our house. We're, you know, we're switching this, switching that. Like I remember there was this uh interesting article that I read after I moved to North Carolina when I was driving around North Carolina and I'm like, this does not feel like my home at all. Like I had moved into the house. Our crap was all in the house. It was mostly unpacked. And I was just driving around from the grocery store at night coming back. And I'm like, doesn't feel like home. Don't think it'll ever feel like home. And I was talking to a friend about it and he said, oh yeah, you know, there's a certain amount of time before something begins to feel like your home. Like you have to do that thing enough or be in that space enough. And then something will click. And one day you'll realize, Oh, this is like, this feels like home. And of course that did happen and it does happen. Uh, and it's, it's interesting how your brain just kind of acclimates to things. Like I remember when I first moved here to Austin and I was driving around, I had that same feeling of like, this doesn't feel like the place that I live, even though I didn't like living in Florida and I was so glad to get away from Florida for every possible reason that even as I was just driving around, I remember thinking to myself, like there's that, I did like it. Like I really liked Austin, but there was that, it's almost like a rejecting kind of a feeling of like, this isn't the way it's supposed to be, even though I like it better and want to be here. Like this is not right. Well, yeah, absolutely. And it's, I'm sure there's a name for this phenomenon in psychology or social psychology, but you know, anything that I think the, the, the less experience you have with something or less, ex, less exposure you have to something, obviously the more foreign it seems and the more your, your mind uh, consciously or unconsciously has to process individual items. It's why the first day in, in on a trip to a big city feels so overwhelming because everything is so different. Everything feels so big. Everything feels, you have to process everything manually Whereas when you're, if you're thinking about like, how do I do a day of what I do where I live, where I've lived for a couple, three, 10, 50 years, whatever, you know, that's much more automatic. You don't have to think about, I wonder where I take a left turn here, or I wonder where I can buy ibuprofen, or right. you know what I mean? I know how to get and make food. Everything is a much more manual operation. And the same, obviously, then goes for little kids. You know, do you remember like how much longer a year felt when you were younger? Because I think you were still manually processing a lot of information. Right. The other one is when you think about taking a trip. Anywhere you go, I, I'm again probably a name for this, but you know the the trip to your destination feels so much longer, regardless of whether you want to be going there or not. It feels so much longer if it's your first trip there. But then I feel like it it feels a lot faster coming home because one, uh, you're when you see landmarks, even if you're doing it in, obviously in reverse going back home. First of all, you're seeing landmarks, and now you notice that, and you re- you recognize progress in a way you didn't before. And then, second, as you get closer to home, you start noticing more familiar stuff. There are trips we take to the East Bay or to you know Marin that are like one hour each way, and the second the half hour coming home feels like the fastest leg of that trip because it's all 
familiar stuff that's getting increasingly more familiar. As you go somewhere else, you're moving out in a direction where everything's becoming increasingly less familiar, and you don't really know how long it'll be, and you don't know if there'll be traffic, and you don't know where the Popeye's fried chicken is, and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> right. So I think, that's, I think that must be part of it. But that's part of what makes those kind of trips so fun. It just depends on how much you like that novelty and that manual processing of information. And some people, I think, are better at that than others. But you're also, you're, I think, if I get you, you're describing like a way of having a process or uh, a mental model for approaching something that's unfamiliar, kind of, right? Right. Sort of. I mean, isn't that kind of what you're saying? I mean, like, no, that if, is. If you have too much of a plan, if you're a little kid with a piece of paper and the name of three theme parks on it, that's not really a plan. But, you know, if you have an idea of like how you're going to navigate what you're doing, I think almost like of uh, AAA used to make these things called triptychs that were really cool. If you're going to take a car trip when I was a kid, you go to AAA and they would show you the fastest way to get somewhere. Do you remember this? Did you, yeah, did you, ever do this? you know, you go, I, like my granddad was really into the triptych and it had like a, it was like a long, uh, like a half size of a notebook sheet. It and was the, like, it was like the shape of a reporter's notebook. Right. It, was co- it was comb bound. And you would say, I want to drive from Cincinnati, Ohio to Clearwater, Florida. And these expert, amazing trip people would walk this, talk about another age. They would walk to this giant like cabinet and each cabinet was a different stretch of highway mostly and they would go shook 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 and grab all these different maps that would uh comprise the the trip that you were going to take so they combined it all together and they'd sit down with a marker and with what they knew of up-to-date ish information they could say okay be careful just outside like north north of atlanta watch out on 75 because there's construction there right now and they would just know that and they'd have stamps and right. markers and little and little this, little arrow all the way going and showing you where you could stop they had it a was stamp great. arrow to show you the direction it was totally cool and 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 then on the opposite side it was really brilliantly done on the op- if memory serves on the opposite side i think they would often feature like landmarks and places to catch on that leg of the trip it was very very well done but you know that's I mean, that, that's, that's certainly a kind of planning, but then you wouldn't want to overplan it to where you say, I'm going to take the most direct route possible and I am going to drive as fast as I can and then I'm going to take the fastest time that anybody has ever made that trip in and that's going to be my estimate for how long it takes. And I've even calculated, I only really need to stop for gas twice. Like, that's bananas. Instead, you would want to say like, okay, once I'm on the trip, like, what can I actually expect? You know, that's, that's the thought, that's the thought technology is like being able to adapt as the plan changes to, uh, encompass things that you didn't and couldn't have planned for. I spent so many years with significant travel anxiety to the point where I would multiple times, I would cancel a trip that I was on because it would just get to be too much for me. And it wasn't like flying. Like I know plenty of people who have a problem flying or a fear of flying. And I didn't like flying and it, it definitely stressed me out. And I did think pretty with, you know, a high degree of confidence that the plane was going to crash, but it was not just that it was the whole concept of, traveling in general just the whole idea of that trying to trying to prepare for something and not being able to not being able to prepare for it not being able to foresee everything that might happen and playing that awful you know what if game you know Mm -hmm. that game that is like okay you know i need to pack 
this because if I don't have this on the trip, then th- this might happen. And well, what if we get to the hotel and the, and and the room kind of sucks? So we're like, what if we don't like the lamp in the room? Or what if there's not enough blankets? What if there's too many blankets? What if there's the wrong kind of pillow? What if you know? What if the next door neighbor has an alarm that goes off at six and I wanted to sleep till six fifteen? And you know what? What if uh, what if the you know the blinds over the window don't completely close? And like that's the kind of stuff that you think about and you're like, well, like I'll deal with it when I get there. Right. But that's not an answer for somebody who has like really bad travel and anxiety and who is so focused on planning. And the way that I used to pack stuff was to try to plan for like every possible contingency. And like, well, what if I forget my phone charger? Well, like I'm not going to the desert, you know, I'm not going to the middle of nowhere. I'm going to a city where they have stores and I could go and buy the thing that I need that I forget. And it's, yeah, it's like a, 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 a mental thing of like, I'm not, I'm not going into the wilderness where I have to survive on my wits for two weeks before I can, you know, get rescued. It's like, I'm going to Chicago and I'll be staying in a hotel in downtown. They'll probably have batteries if I need some, you know, right, <laughs> it was right. like it, it, just that whole thing. But that didn't matter. And I couldn't think of it that way. And it became this thing where I remember multiple times at multiple jobs. They're like, Dan, we want you to go and like do this thing for us. And I'd be like, yeah, I'm going to go do that. And immediately the anxiety would just start and it would set in until as I got closer and closer until the very last minute when I would find some excuse or find some reason to not be able to go. And uh, it's, you know, that was such a problem for me for so long, but because I couldn't get out of that kind of thinking, you know, and yeah. it, it's, that's just, I think for a lot of people, that's just part of it, you know? It also goes to a couple of the ironies around a lack of experience or a lack of expertise where, you know, uh, how do you, how do you like define the trip where somebody tipped over that 50% mark to becoming uh, a more comfortable and less harried and anxious traveler versus where they were before. It's difficult to say. What you can say is that on this one end of the spectrum is somebody who doesn't travel very much, is very anxious about traveling, uh, very fretful about what could happen, and very consumed with the concerns about how you preemptively ameliorate the things that could go wrong to the point where you're over-preparing, over-packing, but your anxiety is no lower. Versus the other end of the spectrum, which is that the 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 person I'm always envious of, who just walks on the plane with a book and like reads a little, then falls asleep and Ugh. like is not bothered by anything. Love it. Which I I yeah, I would love to be like that. But you know, there's a pretty maybe that person is just that way by nature. But I will bet you there's a pretty good chance. First of all, they're probably an air marshal, but also <laughs> that they're that way because they've traveled. And I, I don't want to overcomplicate this, but if you've traveled enough. Well, first of all, you've traveled enough. Like, you know that you haven't died. Like, I've traveled, you know, 50 times in the last two years or whoever, whatever your number is. Right. You know, and I haven't died. Isn't that strange? Well, just the experience of that alone makes you feel better about that. But also then realizing, second to, second to that, um, you know, I I don't need as much stuff as I used to think I need. Maybe right. you're in the Dan Benjamin stage of going like, I don't really need to have, <laughs> I don't need 16 AA batteries. Right. Like maybe a couple AA batteries in case my headphones die on the plane or something, like whatever your version of that is. But then you eventually get to the real ninja level where you go, yeah, you know what? I have had catastrophes and the AA batteries didn't help me. Like the stuff that I'm trying to prepare, I can't really prepare for the stuff that goes actually wrong. Again, that preemptive planning 
will not stop random crap from happening to you in travel or in life. And once you accept that, I mean, that's a real ninja level of life for sure. But then you now you can be a totally a sane and free person because you're planning around what you'd actually like to have happen mm-hmm. rather than what you're concerned will happen. And that does come out of experience and expertise. The experience of doing it over and over and having that under your belt and the expertise of knowing which decision to make and implement based on that experience. Yeah, it's some, that's something that what you just said, I think, is even just having that perspective of what you can plan. I remember there was a person that uh, I was next door neighbors with and she worked for an insurance company and her job was to be, she was like an insurance adjuster and she would go to wherever some kind of disaster had happened and she would basically live there doing all the insurance adjustments for, uh, for that scene essentially until it was resolved. So an example of that might be a hurricane goes through Miami. She would go down to Miami and live out of a hotel for the weeks or even months that it would take to like go to everyone who was had an filed an insurance claim, go to their house and estimate their damage. And then she would leave. And when she would do this, a lot of the time she wouldn't know until a couple of days before she was going to be going that she would do it because a lot of the time it was like a hurricane. So oh, a hurricane went through And she'd get the phone call like, okay, on Monday, you need to go get on a plane and go down there and you'll be there until it's done. Might be a week, might be three months. We don't know. And the way that she traveled was just amazing because she didn't like even worry about like toothbrush or any of this stuff. She would just go. And I'm like, how can you not pack? And she'd be like, well, it's Miami. They're going to have toothbrush. I'll just get it all when I get there. And of course, well, she that's was a- the irony. What you're describing, though, again, the irony is that you know that person has to go the one place where nobody wants to be, right? Right after something terrible has happened. Yeah, like going someplace you want to that everybody wants to go on your own schedule is not what her job is. Right. Her, her job is to go to the place that people are running away from. They're running in the opposite direction of that damage. She has to go there for an unknown amount of time, probably within a couple of days. Well, I mean, you, you would have to have a very different disposition in order to succeed at a job like that. For sure. I mean, it's, yeah. it's, I wouldn't recommend having a kid in elementary school. No, no. And she didn't, they didn't have any kids or anything. But when I, I remember thinking that, and this was at the height of my travel anxiety time period, it was so different. And, you know, like, like with John going to Disney world and getting a planner, you know, having worked at a Disney world park and going to all of those parks and being able to go there whenever I wanted and casually just like, you know what, we can drive out there, go into the park, go on one ride, watch the fireworks and leave. Like it didn't, it didn't matter. But now the idea of doing, of just the idea with, even with a planner of going to those parks and like bringing both my kids with us to those parks, not going as a couple, but like now I have two kids and all that. It sounds so exhausting to me that I know that the kids would like it, but like it, there's no anxiety about it, but it just sounds so tiring. Yeah. You know, absolutely. And, and like, that's another reason I think why I have this like avoidance of, I don't really want to do a move. I don't really want to paint. I don't really want to do this because I do know what goes into it. And I'm not in that exploration stage. And I think that also, I used to always bite off more than I could chew because I didn't have that perspective of saying, 
oh yeah, I know what's involved in that. Yes, I'll do it. My answer to doing anything kind of new and interesting, anything that sounded fun was like, yes, I'll do that. And then I get halfway into it and I'd be like, what have I signed up for here? What mm-hmm. have I committed to here? And it especially happened with like working on side projects. Someone I would meet would have a neat idea and I'd be like, you do the design and I'll do the code and this will be really fun. And then like, here I am an hour 50 writing the code and like, why did I agree to do this thing? You know, and now uh, people that's a, are that's counting a, on me. That's a really good point. I mean, there is a part of that. I was the same way, I think, where if anybody needed a website, I'd make them a website, you know, uh, but I mean, where I would really um, overcommit. But the, the other part of that, so part of that is just that you have, maybe you have more energy and interest. But the other part is what I would call uh, risk management, which is, you know, this idea of, I don't know, it's this actuarial approach to project management where you go like, well, let's take a minute here and let's look at the risks the challenge risks and the challenges. What are the kinds of things that can go wrong? And it, it, to me, it's not it, it's not the same thing as like pessimism or negative thinking. Risk management is a more sane way of going. Well, let's walk through a couple of the things that tend to go wrong with these sorts of things, and let's have a plan again to ameliorate that. Let's have let's be ready rather than saying like I hope everything goes great. It's like what are our what's our plan B if these kind kinds of things happen. So a little bit of that is not not stupid at all. Right. And, but again, I mean, you get back to this basic idea, though, of like you do in, in whatever your area of interest and expertise is, you do develop a sniff test for the credibility of any project and what somebody's asking of you. So you know that when somebody comes along in your racket, somebody comes along and uses a phrase like it's just a button. Mm-hmm. That flips the bozo bit. Yeah. And now you know, like, I'm going to have to regard this person, you know, with suspicion and gloves because, like, I, they, they are a potentially very volatile character. Also, perhaps not coincidentally, those are the kind of people who will tend to blame you if it didn't go the way they expected. Like, right. Once you've agreed to whatever they expect, you're also officially, like, now you're the parent of the project. And if anything goes wrong, you're, you're a bad person. Yes. Did you want to tell me about something you like? Sure. Let me tell you about a little company called Smile. Smile. They make something really cool called Text Expander. I know, Merlin, you're like a text expander uh, guru. I'm, a, I'm not. A, I'm an evangelist. Okay. I, I am a fan. I'm a fan evangelist of uh, Text Expander. <laughs> well, Any keyboard where I type things that doesn't have feels broken. If it doesn't have Text Expander, it's useless to me. Well, they have come out with a newer, newish version, I think it's safe to say, of Text Expander 5. So what this does, if you're not familiar with Text Expander, is there are things in your in your daily life, in your correspondence, in your day to day work on a computer or device, where you find that you type things, and those things can be uh, can be long sometimes, or just time consuming, or just plain repetitive. Maybe it's the signature in your email. Maybe it's typing your office phone number, your cell phone number, or your email address, or a website, or replying to some person who's asked the same question that someone else asked an hour ago over email because you're doing support requests. Who knows what it is? But there are these repetitive things that you type over and over and over. And Text Expander fixes your communication by making it so that you don't have to type the same thing over and over again. You create these snippets of text that will expand, and they'll expand in any app. And like I said, it could be email responses. It could be meet a meeting notes template, right? It could be something like you're requesting a, a reference to improve your hiring process. There's so many great examples of what you can do with this. And these snippets then can sync up with iCloud or Dropbox and you get them on your Mac, you get them on your iPhone, you get them on your iPad. And 
it's it, it's all just seamless. It's all just built in. I love this. They even have like a custom keyboard. Do you use a custom keyboard ever, or are you just uh, sticking with apps that support it? Because so many on iOS, do. yeah. No, no, I don't use the custom keyboard, but I, 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 it's for some people, it's a godsend. That's not how I use it, but my version of that is I rarely, if I'm doing any amount of typing, um, I'm using apps that support text expander like drafts and editorial. It's wonderful. It's a wonderful thing to, to do. And it's some time saving. Like, for example, a lot of the emails that we get when we're dealing like with sponsorships at five by five are, um, how do sponsorships work? And hello, interested party. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, we get so many of these emails and so many of them are they're not serious or they're just trying to get basic information that if I was to sit there and respond to every one of them by typing the same explanation. Well, yes, I could make a like a text file somewhere and then I could copy it and paste it and I could do a quick search and replace. But now I've done, what, 30 different steps to send one email with text expander. You can create these snippets that are like smart where you hit the hit the like semicolon add info. You might type that. It'll pop up a little window. It'll give me a blank to type in the person's name. It'll give me another blank to type something. And then I can hit, hit, you know, return once and it, boom, it's done. It's in the email. And then I hit send so much that you can do with this. It's just wonderful. Uh, I highly recommend you check it out. The place to go to do that. Smilesoftware.com slash B2W. When you get there, you can download a free demo of text expander and improve your communication Today, thank you very much to Small Software for supporting Back to Work with Merlin Man. Bok, bok. Um, you can consider this part of the read and charge them more. Okay. Or you can consider this part of the show okay. and charge them more. Okay. Uh, I have a kind of <laughs> suggest a couple things. Yes. Uh, a couple things that are interesting. Um, one of the things uh, Text Expander can do, I don't personally use this, but I can see how handy it is, is it will suggest if you find yourself it will watch what you're typing, which it does anyway, and it will suggest, hey, you just you just typed this thing a lot, and you might want to turn that into an abbreviation. It's a pretty neat idea. And I think especially if you have not used, if you've this is a beginner tip in some ways, if you've never used Text Expander, I would leave that feature on because there's a pretty good chance that, you know, obviously you can learn to make yourself use this app, but you'll really want to use this app when you go, oh, gosh, I sure type my email a lot. That's bananas. And uh, text expander will say, "Hey, you know, you type your email a lot. Do you want me to create a uh, abbreviation for that?" So I would leave that on uh, if I'm new. If you're new to it, uh, I, I leave that off just because I'm pretty pretty good with where I am. But here's what I do do, which is uh, I forget sometimes. I've got how many of these alive? 323 snippets. Uh, that is really a lot. Do, that is a lot. And you know the thing is, some of them I forget that I've made a snippet for something. <laughs> Which is crazy, but I forget, like maybe a long time ago, uh, you know, and I'll, uh, if it's something I don't use as much anymore, or maybe I've started doing a return to a project that I haven't, you know, done in a while, you can also have a feature uh, under suggestions in your preferences. It says, notify me of the abbreviation when I type a snippet that already exists. So if you end up typing your email manually, like, like an animal, you get a little pop up that says, hey, do you know you already have an abbreviation for this? You should use that. I think that's really smart. That's very cool. The other thing that's neat, I don't know how long they've had this, but I'm just noticing now that when you go into Text Expander and view your snippets, go to the view menu up in the top and you can sort different ways, sort by the content, so the abbreviation, etc. You can sort by most used. So here's some of my most used. Um, far and away, the one I use the most, really, really simple. It, I, my abbreviation for it is S-date, S-D-A-T-E. 
And that adds in, that just drops in the current date in the form of year, month, and day. I use that constantly. Why? I use that for naming files. So I will very frequently, when I, I can create a kind of a nonce file, sorry, uh, British listeners, if I create like a one-off file called like Dan Notes, right? And then I just type space and then S-D-A-T-E and that drops in a date stamp on that. So I could have lots of things called Dan's note, Dan Notes, but now there's a date stamp associated with each one. Other giant one for me, my email address. Uh, E-M-G types my email, my Google email address. That saves me tons. Roderick on the line, R-O-T-L-L, expands to Roderick on the line. Other big ones. Um, use this one all the time, T-K. You know, if I want to remember to change text later, I type T-K, 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 and it makes it all caps, T-K's. This is one I use every week. Um, when I want to paste in the show art for Roderick on the line, when I'm getting ready to put the episode out, in, I, in iTunes, I'm in that little pane that has right. the image on it. right. This sounds like it won't work, but it's going to blow your mind. The I type R-O-T-L-I, as in Roderick on the Line image, and it pastes in the image. So Text Expander can also, did you know that? Text Expander can paste images. So in that case, it pastes in the 300 by 300 show art for Roderick on the Line. It just goes bloop and drops it right in there. So why am I telling you that? Well, first of all, I'm showing off because I'm awesome. Um, th- those look really great. But if also, I would suggest going in and look at the ones that are most used and sometimes refactor them. Are there things you can do to improve those? You also might want to scroll all the way to the bottom and look at the ones you're not using much. Make sure they're not stepping on any other ones and do some basic cleanup. But, you know, boy, this is an app that really grows with you. I didn't yeah. mean to make this into a super extended ad, but I thought those might be kind of handy tips. No, they're uh, really great tips. And let, it do the, let it do the work for you and let the fact that Texas Expander is watching what you do, have that help you. Like, let it, let it tell you what you could be doing better because it, it can tell you in a way where you may not from scratch make a bunch of these let it let you know when there are things you could be saving time on i love that great tips and really really great app it's one of the very few apps that i absolutely must have on every device you know like there's one password there's dropbox there's text expander and like with that as a starting point then i then i now i can work now we can eat well, that's, that's another form of mise en place in some ways, is even if you want to do a clean install somewhere, you need this little go bag of stuff that will, the, the, basically the tools you need to make tools in some ways. You know what I mean? Right. Like, I, think it's, I think it's really handy, like you say, to, have, to be able to, you know, there's not much I can do without 1Password. To get to 1Password, I need Dropbox. So Dropbox, text, or Dropbox 1Password, Text Expander, like those three, like there's not much I can do until I got those installed. Yeah. Bok, bok. So you guys staying uh, staying around for Thanksgiving, going out visiting the humanity horse? Yeah, you know it's uh, it's Thanksgiving turkey. It'll be fun. I'm looking forward to it. I, I don't got talk a, about my location. No, I know you don't. I got a but, turducken. Uh, oh, that's where you make a turkey eat a duck. You have a uh, a chicken in a duck in a turkey. What? That sounds gimmicky. A chicken inside of a duck inside of a inside of a turkey. You hate animals. You don't have to hate them. <laughs> no, it sounds like the but like if you were like I'm a carnivore, uh, but like it it seems like you know if you really 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 wanted to put the boots to some animals, you would have you stuff them inside of each other. Well, what you can do if you want to take it to this is called a three bird roast. If you take it to the mm. next step, then I think it goes into a 
a goat, and that goes into a pig, which goes into a cow. But I'm, I'm, maybe I'm just imagining that part of it. But and a cow goes into a teamster. <laughs> well, yeah, eventually, bake it till it's one sixty in the middle. But you know, every year we've always had a turkey, and sometimes it's been good. But I thought I would try this other thing. People are always talking about the turducken, and I hear it, it seems to be very divisive. That people either love it or they think it's terrible. But neither of my kids like turkey at all and really don't eat it and well, I mean, I'm, I'm not a fan of turkey this, is, it, is, it, is it a bird with bones inside of the other bird i think uh it is it is deboned hmm. but i think there are people who perhaps are uh maybe maybe making it a different way but the correct way to have it is the bones are all removed so that if you're what you're imagining is like a giant turkey that you then cut into and there's a, a duck and all of the bones and legs, it's just wrapped or No, they're deboning all of that. And it's, it's then and stuffed. And the one that we got it stuffed with, because the place that I got it is sort of a, a really, really awesome Cajun place that it's stuffed with a, a boudin, which is uh, very, oh, very nice. Oh, okay. Stuff. This, is, this is like a, what, more like a remoulade. I, I see. But I, it's I still thought, pieces. Like, it's still a, a solid thing. It's, it's yeah, not okay. chopped yeah. up and mixed around in, like, a stew. It's it's very clearly the the one bird and the other bird and the other bird. Mm. So we're trying that this year. That's exciting. Uh, yeah, boy, this is really uh, grizzly. Oh, my goodness. Look what at the duck. What, what's wrong with what? Um, well, uh, here's the way I think of it. And I realize this is reductive. But, like, I would never begin my Thanksgiving by cooking three different birds in an oven and serving it. I guess it's different when you stuff them into each other. <laughs> it just seems... I don't know why. I should eat. I'm hungry. Oh, I'm really torn right now. I've got a um, I got half a sandwich from yesterday sitting here, and I can kind of smell it and uh, and in the fridge, and I'm, I'm thinking, I don't know if I want to eat it or not. You could eat it during the show. Yeah. Well, I'd have to heat it up a little bit. It's a, uh, it's a, it's a crab salad melt on Dutch Crunch. Crab salad. You know, that's a sa- very San Francisco thing. Actually, it's not. Uh, it's really gross. It's like that Alas- Alaskan Pollock. The yeah. crab is the, like the, the fishy paint. Oh, I don't. Ew. Yeah, yeah that right. stuff. That's not good. The only time I've ever had a crab salad sandwich in my life was in San Francisco. And I bought it at that uh, the Giants uh, ballpark, the AT&T stadium thing. Yes. I had it there. It was wonderful. It was quite good. But I, th- yeah. I don't know if it was real or not, but I thought it was real. Well, you know, uh, crab salad is, it's a complicated thing. I don't, I don't mind it. I mean, I, I, I like fake crab. I like fake crab, like in, uh, in sushi. Like I like a California roll. I'm not an animal. Aren't I like the, it. There's California rolls that have the fake and there's California rolls that have the real. It's extremely rare to have a California roll with actual, according to whale crab in it. You got, uh, usually you got, you got crab, you got avocado, you got the seaweed, Am I forgetting anything? And then the rice around that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's another one of those things, though, where like a lot of the food that we think of as ethnic food is, uh, you know, just appalling to people who are, would actually <laughs> eat food from that country. <laughs> yeah. I, gotta, I gotta close this tab with the turducken. This is really... What's funny. wrong with it? It looks wonderful if you look at the pictures. No, it doesn't. It looks like a rye bread made of birds. I don't know what you're looking at. I'm looking. It's like a marble. It's, I'm looking. I, you know what I did? I went to a site called Google. And I entered turducken, and I'm looking at photos of it. But you know what I do? Oh, there's I do like, one all wrapped up with bacon. That's crazy. Look at that. It's just just another fu to another animal. Look at that. 
Um, well, I'll tell you how yeah. it comes out. I'll tell you how it turns out. Tell me how. Tell me how it turns out. Yeah. One of the, my kid, my kid is a freaking out obsessed with this. He's she he's put some Bigfoot, put some Bigfoot in it. But when he found, yeah, when he found out that it wasn't like you were thinking, like the actual bird had been forced to eat the other bird, because that's how he, in his seven year old mind, of course, he's like, how do so, they get so, so the 48 year old mind? Well, yeah, he's <laughs> like, how, how do they get the turkey to eat the duck? And I said, well, they, you know, they just, they just get it to open its mouth like a snake devouring an egg. I'd say it's more like a duck. Uh, well, it's become one of my favorite episodes of The Simpsons. I hated it at the time. I love it now. Frank Grimes, the episode, uh, episode called Homer's Enemy. Remember, remember Frank Grimes? I don't remember. I, the name does ring a bell. But I'm Homer one? Simpson. I have to go eat my lobster. <laughs> I live in a palace. Look at me. I'm Homer Simpson. <laughs> oh, I remember that now. Frank, Frank Grimes, which if true means death for us all. Uh, it's the episode with the <laughs> Frank Grimes, the little boy who had to work for everything he had. That's right. And, uh, like, like he's like the opposite of Homer Simpson. Yeah. <laughs> and and uh, Lenny and Carl and Frank are standing there while Homer's like just stuffing food <laughs> in his mouth. And Homer's just like, he's like, oh, he's like a pig. He's, <laughs> look at that man. He's like a pig. And uh, and Lenny goes, I'd say, uh, he says, ducks tend to chew. Or, no, he says, he says, pigs tend to chew. I'd say he's more like a duck. And then they show Homer like putting his mouth up in the air so he can and just swallow without chewing. I was, I'm reading the Wikipedia about this, and it says, voice actor Hank Azaria based much yep. of his performance as Frank Grimes on William H. Macy. Oh, that's pretty good. It's a really, it's a... <laughs> You're eating my dietetic lunch. <laughs> it's very clearly Mark. Please don't do it again. Anyway, uh, yeah, I, I like, uh, I like, uh, I like crab salad. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. Now, I, you know, it's, it's not a popular, it's not a popular thing to say. There are not people who are going to go like, oh, by the way, I like crab salad. You know, yeah. it's, it's one of those things like, uh, like, you know, wearing Crocs or having a bad haircut. Like, it's just something you do, you know? Do you see a lot of Crocs anyway, on out and about these days? Sure, 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 sure you do. I can't decide if I should eat this sandwich. It's, uh, I should, probably shouldn't eat it on the air. I've tried to stop doing that. Eating on the air. Has it been sitting out, 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 or has it been refrigerated? No, it's in my refrigerator. Okay. What kind of bread? Yeah. The Dutch crunch. But, you know, also I had them put everything on it. So it's got, I, I got, uh, I should take it out and look at it. It's got, it's got the crab salad. You got some cheese. It might be American cheese. I'm not sure. Like maybe pepper, pepper jack. <laughs> they got cheese on there. Uh, you got pickles. You got red onions. Uh, and then they're, they're house sauce. It's got house sauce on it. They have house sauce. It's a little spicy they put on there. And they, uh, they grill that. So now what I would do if I were going to eat that right now, I take it out. And uh, my microwave at work is not as sophisticated as the one I have at home. At home, we can talk about microwaves someday because I'm really good at microwaves. This microwave, I would do for 45 seconds. Now at home, I work the percentages. And I just want to say to all the men out there, if you're not working the percentages, you don't know how to use a microwave. Do you work the percentages? I don't, I don't think I understand what that means. Well, here's the thing. The basic thing, when a man learns to cook, and I don't want to think about gender, except, you know, men are dumb. When men cook, they generally learn, you, they first learn how to broil, you know, hot makes steak, steak hot. Like right. you learn to broil. Right. And then if you really evolve to where you're 16 years old and learn how to make food from the freezer, you make everything at 350 because that's, that's the official temperature of baking. Now, no, you're did right. it for my, that, that is actually. Get a microwave and what men mostly understand is minute make hot. 
Minutes make warm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you put everything in there. And in our case, we've got like a 50 gajillion watt microwave. We've got a really uh, a hot, hot microwave. And so, but the problem is you put something, there's certain kinds of foods. If you're defrosting something, you want to put it in 100%? I don't think so. So first of all, our microwave has what's called uh, uh, tur- turbo inverter defrost, which is a very sophisticated technology. So turbo what that does is... inverted... It might be inverter turbo defrost or turbo inverter defrost, but here's how it works. You just, you mash on the buttons and say how much the frozen thing weighs. And then what it does is you say, okay, this is 1.7 pounds of ground beef. And I tend to go a little bit south just to be safe. I don't want to brown my meat. Put that in there and it starts out super slow, like super low. Uh, 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 Cause you know, it's all, it's all about density, you know, molecules. So it starts out real slow, mm-hmm. maybe 10 or 20%. I don't know. I don't see it. This is part of this is why it's a button. It's just a button. And then over time, it slowly increases the amount of power that it's sending. Mm-hmm. So you don't end up getting this thing, you know, because I think it works from the uh, inside out. Ask Dr. Drang. But anyway, that's a great thing. So inverter turbo defrost is great. <laughs> but then you got to learn to work the percentages. Learn to work the percentages. Learn to work 50% power. Learn to work 10 and 20% power because there are certain kinds of things where if you reheat them in the microwave at 100%, you're going to be a sad tomato. There's some stuff where you're going to warm it up a little slower. You do a 40%. A 40% is a very gentlemanly percentage. So you can do a 40% for two minutes and that will heat your food up in a way that's much more organic. You don't get hot spots. We could do a whole show on this. So it's the reason that the hot spots happen is because your heat, it's going from the inside out I thought the rotating fixed that. Mm. The rotating helps, but as you know, as you know, I uh, I've studied a lot of physics. Uh, you know, microwaves. You got you got water. You got density. You got rotation. You got electric and molecules, and and mostly in that order. Uh, so the thing is, if you if you want to if you're microwaving something, it's best that it be, as my understanding, uh, on the outside of the turny plate. And that it not be too dense. The denser something is, the harder it is to microwave. Like if you have a perfect sphere of something, that's not a, that's not a good thing to microwave. Having things that are more distributed, you get a lot more control. Anyway, let's save it. Let's let's do a show. We'll do first of the year. We'll, we get to episode two fifty. It's going to be all about how to use a microwave oven. I think that's wonderful because there's so much I didn't realize that I didn't know. I thought it was always high for one minute, turn high for one minute. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I like almost everything about our microwave oven, except as I have documented before, I hate the fact that when it's done, well, first of all, when it's done, it makes five beeps. It goes beep, 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 beep. Very nice. Five beeps. Five beeps means done. Mm -hmm. But then you know what it says on the readout in little LED letters? It says, enjoy your meal. Well, what's wrong with that? I don't want my oven telling me to enjoy my food. It doesn't know me. It doesn't even know what it just cooked. I hope not. But what, if, but what if you went through the steps and you put in like re, you know, reheat oh, one right. meal plate, you know. Enjoy your pork fried rice. Right, then it knows. Yeah, I guess that'd be good. I guess I prefer if it just made five beeps and just said, you will die alone. <laughs> one, uh-huh. of the, <laughs> one of the questions I have for you. Yes. And this occurred to me uh, just yesterday. That it's on my list of things I wanted to ask you before year end. What are your thoughts? Before my end? Before year you, end. Oh, Jesus. I thought you knew something I didn't know. No, that's morbid. 
I had a terrible, terrible, terrible dream last night. And so I'm very sensitive right now. What, what was the dream? Oh, I dreamed that there was an extremely realistic alien invasion and that then to stay alive in the post-apocalypse, uh, everybody had to fight to the death. They had to fight the aliens or fight each other? No, fight each other. It was really, really grisly. It was a terrible dream. Anyway, year end. No, no that's more interesting. No, I don't like talking about dreams. You can't talk about dreams. To, you can't talk about dreams. Why? Uh, because people think they're telling you a story when they're actually trying to relate a feeling. You cannot relate a feeling while you're trying to tell a story. No matter how much you say, like when you tell somebody a dream, you go, listen, oh my God, <gasps> I just remembered a dream I had last night. Oh my God. <laughs> oh, wait, wait, wait. oh my God. I just, you were totally in my dream, except it wasn't you. And it was on my front porch, but it wasn't my porch, but it was you, but not you when you were there, but it was you like when you're older, but younger and you were there. Oh my God. And there was ice. There was ice. It was not, it was like ice. It was like ice, but not ice on my porch, but not my porch with you, but not you. <gasps> oh my god oh and then right before that i thought i was a suitcase like well oh, that's great man you should get some help that's really super weird that you're telling me that nobody cares about other people's dreams nobody cares mm. there are places you know you can go to workshops you can go to workshops i heard about this on uh, on a podcast where you can go and have meetings where you tell each other your dreams which is kind of my vision of hell if they had like the caffeinated coffee and grapefruit that would be my vision of hell okay oh, tell, tell me more about your dream want some grapefruit <laughs> <laughs> well okay well my question no, before before my end <laughs> before your end i i wanted to ask this you like me not being able to say teens how what slack the messaging app for teens teams 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 yes my end what is your thought and the reason that i asked this is last night well, the night before last night is when this process began, but you know how when you, I don't know if you have central heating and air in your, in your home in San Francisco, but if you, if you do have that periodically, the, it will get cold outside. This is what happens and you will have to put your heat on. And if you haven't put your heat on for a while, there's something that happens with a heater where I don't know if it's dust. I don't know what it is, but there's something that must, the first time you turn the heat on, that must be burned off. Does this ring true for you? Have you experienced this? Uh, we don't have central anything in our house. We okay. barely have water. We have four, <laughs> four unstrategic holes in our house where, where hot comes out a little bit. Sometimes <laughs> it's like the microwave problem, except in a house built in the twenties. And so basically there'll be one room, uh, that's like a literal furnace. And then, uh, then a lot of, uh, like ice hovels through the rest of the house. But I know what you mean. Like when we first turn our heat on, especially if it's been a while, there's a, there's a certain, like a smell, but I don't get dust. Okay. Well, I don't, we have it, so much dust in San Francisco, Dan. We, I wouldn't even notice it. Well, it's not like dust is being kicked up, but apparently the dust is what is being burned off. Uh, oh, something like that. It's not like dust is flowing so through it's the a home. Kind of low, low level dust incineration. Something like that happens. I don't know what it is, but this isn't. This is a known thing, and that will set off your fire alarms. And it, they they will beep for a while. You run the fan or, uh, or whatever the ceiling fan, whatever it is, that goes away. And then the rest of the season, you can run your heat as often as you want. It's only during that long time period of the spring and summer when it's not being run that there something builds up anyway it's a first run experience yeah 
It's an annual first run, and that causes your uh, smoke alarm to go off. Right. And, and that seems weird. Right. Yeah. But that's not, the, that's not what I'm talking about. Oh. So I had to do that, and then usually whenever we do that, my wife will say, can you set the, the schedule? Because our thermostat can be programmed, and it has these different times that you can program it. So like, wake. What temperature, Enjoy your heat. Right. What temperature do you want it when you wake up? And then day, which I think is when you're supposed to have left your house, what temperature do you want it to go to? And then return, what temperature do you want it? And then sleep, what temperature do you want it? So each one of these things has a different like setting that you can do for the heater and different setting you can do for the cool air, the air conditioning. So I had, had to, you know, she always wants to change it once a year. So I changed it and got it set. And it occurred to me that th- this n- terrible Nest device is supposed to know how you want things to work. And I thought to myself, I wonder if Merlin has a nest. Mm. And if you do or don't, I feel like you've, you've thought it through in a special way. And I want to, that was my topic for today. Oh, bad news. No, our houses could not have a nest. Because you don't have the central. No, we don't have central anything, but also just our, I don't think our wiring would work. We have basically two plugs in the house. It's, 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 it's mag- basically we live in an advanced tree house in a lot of ways. <laughs> when our fire alarm goes off, we keep a stool by the fire alarm because every time we cook, it goes off. So we have to get on a stool and pull up the nine volt battery. That's, so that's the thing. That's the thing we do. Uh, yeah. You would love our house. You would really, really love our house. It's got a lot of character. But, uh, but, uh, yeah, I, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I, you know, I've dabbled in home automation maybe a year and a half ago. Uh, I don't know why, but I, I, I got really into trying stuff with all the different, you know, uh, turning on the lights and the hue lights. And I tried smart things and Wemo and all these different ones. And, uh, some of it was just not a good fit for our house. Mm-hmm the structure some of it was not a good fit for our household the persons mm-hmm. and movements therein mm-hmm. and expectations and uh, and uh so i ended up not keeping much from that setup but i I'm, I'm interested in it it still feels very very young it's like the apple watch of house like I just, still, it's very yeah, young i think it is too young and i have any any time in my whole life that i've ever tried to use a computer to predict my or other people's human behavior patterns or anything. It, it's, it's usually so wrong. And I'm so curious why people are interested in sort of handing over something that's as vital as, did I tell you about recently when my air conditioner broke? Did I tell you about that? No, it sounds fascinating. So it, it was working and then at some point it stopped. Well, my wife had the, you know, every year you're supposed to get a central air conditioner, like, like serviced, like checked out. <laughs> and so she found a guy who came highly recommended in the, the neighborhood newsletter. And he came out, very nice guy. I got to meet him. He serviced the air conditioning. And this involved putting more refrigerant into it because it had run low. And then, and and this is my old saying, which is don't reboot the server. Because when you reboot the server, and we're talking about Spark stations here, (laughs) 
when you reboot these things, the SCSI drives, that's when the SCSI drives will go bad or that's when the RAM check will fail. And then if you just leave it alone. Ah, it's the opposite of like a Mac where you're like, if everything goes wrong, you just restart it and everything's fine. Right. You'd never want to restart the servers because that's when all the problems will crop up. And if you're going to restart a server, be there physically, be ready to repair whatever is going to go wrong because it will. And that's most of the time when we used to see those server uh, or drives fail, it was during a reboot. So I knew that something could go wrong here. And a week later it did because I guess the repressurization of the the refrigerant or whatever else caused the, this leak that maybe would not, it would jarred it loose, shook something loose. Mm. So it shook something loose. And then all of a sudden now there's no air conditioning and it was very warm. And it, comp- I, I, like, that's one thing. I just, I don't know how you do it, but I can't sleep without air conditioning when it's hot out. I just can't. Like, if it's 85 degrees, yeah. I don't know how you're getting sleep. I just don't know. Yeah. <clears throat> that's the whitest anecdote I've ever heard. Yeah, I know. I like, uh, especially where you learn about the best air conditioning maintenance person from the neighborhood newsletter and then compared it to, <laughs> to restarting a web uh, or starting a computer server. It's, but it's it's an accurate thing. And I'll tell you what, yes. I'll tell you what it makes you appreciate. It makes you appreciate how, I think, how comfortable we can make ourselves and how much we begin to rely on that without really realizing just mm, how yeah, much kind of. we depend on But I mean, also, it. why would you move to a place where it's that hot at night? I mean... The, I mean, the, the, the thing, yeah, I mean, I, I don't disagree with you. I think that we all tend to take for granted a certain kind of discomfort. That's just like how people in Western civilization are. Like, mm-hmm. that's, that's what makes us who we are is taking things for granted. But, uh, but the other part of it is like, <clears throat> um, uh, God, let me go into John Roderick mode for a minute. If you think about like, uh, so much of the development, like what made the whole manifest destiny go West young man kind of thing work mm-hmm. was that was the ability to travel far enough away from home to find out what else was out there, to then be able to develop a supply chain to where you could then like have even the most basic settlement. But then like just where you would decide to stay, oh, there's a river here, so we can have boats. Like now we have to go make some boats and stuff like that. But like that, that's one part. And I, I don't mean to pile on to Florida here or, or by extension Texas, but that's what makes Florida so, or, or Las Vegas so nuts mm. is like, you know, okay. So for example, I like Top Chef. I'm, I'm doing a new uh, podcast about Top Chef with Max Temkin. We're, I'm very excited about it. We're going to cover this season of Top Chef. So I've been going back and watching Top Chef because I love this show. One of my favorite episodes of Top Chef season six is the one... <laughs> I told you about this guy. Right? You don't watch Top Chef, right? No. So basically, I have, I have seen it. I have seen many of the seasons of it, but I'm not currently. But you're, you're familiar. It. No, but you're familiar with how it works. Very familiar. You have challenges. A person gets thrown off each week. But there's this one. Every time we watch it, I laugh and I, I point out to my daughter what's funny to me about this. They have this. So the, this one season, season six is all in uh, Las Vegas. And so it's Las Vegas themed. You win chips. And one of my favorite episodes is one where this is the, the guest judge is this guy. It's not Rick Bayless. Rick, his last name starts with an M, um, who's famous. Like he is one of the greatest American chefs in the field of sustainable seafood. He's all about the sustainable. Like he can't, he can't get a sentence out without mentioning sustainable seafood. And like, <laughs> I, I realize, you know, there's probably a way this is not ridiculous, but there's something wonderfully comical about America's leading 
uh, sustainable seafood chef being located in Las Vegas. Right, because that's not what you necessarily associate with fresh. It's probably stuff I don't know. He probably goes up in the hotel. He drops a line out the window. Mm-hmm. He gets some fresh, sustainable fish right out of the great, the great lake that certainly is right below wherever his hotel is located <laughs> right? in the middle of the goddamn desert. <laughs> How much fresh fish do you get in Las Vegas, do you think, Dan? Do you think you get a lot of that? Does he, it's over from uh, like near the prime rib farm and the, no. the champagne fountain? Oh, no. It's like somebody's got to put all that stuff on a truck and, and drive it out there. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Uh, and that's the crazy thing is like when we, that's an interesting thing about San Francisco is that for a lot of the year, I mean, uh, somewhat famously, I think San Francisco, we, you rarely have, if your window's open and almost all the windows open in San Francisco, um, we don't have uh, screens cause we don't get that many bugs. We don't get that many mosquitoes like in the city. Like you can just, there's like a few days a year without air conditioning, like there's a few days a year that are pretty hot, like too hot. And there's, you know, a few weeks a year that are really cold, but it's really interesting. Like how much of the year it really is like 55 every day. You know what I mean? Yeah. But so uh, anyway, I'm getting off your point. Uh, I mean, don't you think part of that begins with moving somewhere where you, it's almost like the Martian, right? Like he's got to have, you know, all this stuff that keeps Mars out of his spaceship. Yeah, like, no, that's what, exactly what it's like. And that's that's what kind of occurred to me through this is like without this modern convention of air conditioning, I would never consider living in Texas. Like, it, 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 you <laughs> know what I'm saying? That's a good way to put it. That's a good way to put it. Because when you think about it, they say, oh, what are you thinking of moving? You go, oh, I'm thinking of Austin. I'm really into the music scene. There's a lot of interesting businesses there. But like the thing you don't even have to mention is, oh, and by the way, everything is air conditioned. Right. You'd never think to even mention that, but like, would you move somewhere for the music if it was 90 degrees without air conditioning? Yeah, like not in a million years. Never. You go there on vacation for a week and have some, have a local fan you, but like, you know, no way would you go and live someplace like that. No way. And that's what kind of struck me is like, oh my God, like, where do I live? I live in a place I would never consider sleeping in. (laughs) <laughs> and yet everything that I have and own and my whole family and business and everything like it's here. But if suddenly just across the board, the air conditioning was turned off, I'm like I would not last very long here. You know, I would much prefer to. Be, and now when I visited San Francisco uh, just a, a couple of weeks ago, maybe, um, you know, I was stricken by the fact that like it was, I mean, the, especially the first day or so that I was there, you, you said to me like, well, enjoy the weather. It's beautiful. It was amazing. And it gets like nice and cold at night, you know, and I think it's, correct me if I'm wrong, but like most of the year, it's relatively cool compared to at least where I am right now. Right. <laughs> yeah. And, <kinda>. and, <laughs> and, and so like, I, that's, that's a very appealing thing, you know, but growing up in Philadelphia, we had miserable winters and we had miserable summers. Oh, in where I when I was in Florida, I mean that was the crazy part. Is it was um, I have a friend who's from who I met in Tallahassee, and he and his family are now moving back to Tallahassee, buying a buying some. Gosh, he's got he's getting like a big ranch style house and three acres for three hundred grand. Wow, unbelievable! Wow. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm really envious. Um, but the thing is, in Florida, like you go to in, in Tallahassee, like it, it is pretty funny how like it is so so very hot and so so very humid for so much of the year and you think oh that so that means a nice you know temperate uh, winter like not really like it it can get into the 20s and 30s for and sure that, yeah and it, and it's it's when i think about like the original topic of like the air conditioning and the nest and having something decide this kind of thing for you 
we take these things, at least I do, so for granted that like when you're suddenly without it, and I remember being in, you know, when we had the hurricanes coming through uh, all the time in Central Florida and South Florida, how oh, very much aware I was of the fact that like a storm could appear on the radar and in three days be here and then not only damage our home and our property and potentially destroy it, but leave us for days or weeks without water or power or anything uh, and potentially strand us in that situation and give us nowhere to go from that. That was just like, people just accept that about living in Florida. Like that's okay. That's just, you know, that probably won't happen. Actually it will happen and it does happen and it might happen several times in one hurricane season to you. And people just, they used to freak out about, oh my gosh, there's a hurricane coming. And like everybody would immediately go to top off their gas tanks. Everybody would go and stock up on all the food and you would see the stores would just be wiped clean of stuff. Like all of the bottled water gone, all Uh, of the canned food. I think I get your point. And it's also, but here's the other part of it, and this is really true in Florida, is like, you can think about it in terms of trade-offs, like knowing trade-offs. Like, for example, if you live on a houseboat, mm-hmm. like, you are intensely aware of what a hurricane would mean for you. Yeah. You're in that first wave of, like, forget about it. There's a, I think in meteorology, the first wave is called forget about it. <laughs> like, it's not, it's a rounding error to ruin your life. Yeah. But you, you get that if you live on a boat. Or, like, for example, people who live on still houses, like, near a tidal area. You know, that's like, that would happen in, um, in Pasco County. There are these stilt houses out in the, out in the, um, uh, what, the, what would that be? The Gulf of Mexico? Is that where it was? No, I can't be right. The Panhandle? But you have these yeah. stilt houses out in the water and, uh, and, uh, yeah. And, and it was like, they would just, they would just go away or think about people here who live like in the hills in Oakland. You might remember a few years back when there was that just like engulfing fire in the Oakland Hills. You know, uh, there's all kinds of areas where like you can't get certain kinds of insurance because like that you are you are in the forget about it area that's just going to like go away. But the thing is, like if you've got a vacation house, and I'm, I'm not trying to diminish any of this or or look down on anybody, but like th- the funny part is, if you live in an area like that, like you're very aware of those preparations. You are prepared for the fact that your electric could go out or whatever. But then there's the more like unconscious trade-off area, like Florida in general. And the thing is, think about this. In order to make a house that you can keep air-conditioned, like there's certain things you've got to do. Mm-hmm. You've got to like not have let everybody, like Steve Jobs style, like no, you can't all open the windows. Like I've lived in places where they were built around air conditioning where you either couldn't open the windows or the windows could just crack a little bit. They were more like show windows, like right. demo windows. Yeah. But, you know, so what happens then, if you do lose the air, you're screwed because it was never intended to not have air. You, you, might, you might as well be Matt Damon on the, uh, on the spaceship opening your windows. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Miserable. But that's, that, is, that is a funny kind of trade-off. Right. The idea that, like, you don't really realize where you live because we're not, even though we say, oh, I'm outside a lot. I walked out here, walked around the corner, went to have lunch with a friend. You know, no, you're not really, oh, played with the kids all weekend. You're not really outside, though. Well, and, and also, yeah, go ahead. No, I was, that's, that's it. Continue. Also thinking about, like, you know, like in, uh, the, obviously, the tragic case of New Orleans. You yeah. know, New Orleans being a city that's below sea level. Right. And those levees 
you know, you think about all the civil engineering that goes into making any place sustainable. And San Francisco is far from above this. I can crack wise about not needing screens, but guess where our water comes from? Way over there. Our water comes through a tube from very, very, very far away. Right. And if that were, if, we, if Hetchachi went away, like it would be a pretty dry place to live. So, I mean, every place has that, but it is funny to then square that against, I know you like to look kind of historically at things. It's squared, funny to square that against something like then like the city of Rome or, you know, or Paris or any place that's been around for hundreds or thousands of years and how that has evolved over time. You know, it's, 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 it's a, it's a, it's a crazy idea, but you're right. You don't really know where you live until you don't have those things. Right. You realize like how many mosquitoes are out there. Like how much water is being probably through some system of pumps or cisterns or lakes or whatever. Like how much of the water that collects in this area is either kept away from you or kept there by some kind of civil engineering that's not how the land like naturally was. Right. But if you if you told anybody with any degree of common sense, you you live next to large bodies of water and you're below you your your house sits below them, lower than them. That you would say, well, I don't think I want to live in that because if these levees break, we're going to be underwater. I don't want to live there. If you were to tell someone, well, you know what? It gets to be about 100 degrees here. And even at night, it's, you know, in the 90s. I don't, I don't think I want to live in that, right? But like we do. Would you want to live somewhere where there's no water there and they bring it in? No, of course not. I need to be by water. Everyone knows I need to have water. So, and yet because of these modern conveniences, here we are in in these places that we would quote never live in. And when that thing as simple as air conditioning going out, like you're not, I'm not going to be sleeping now. And so what does that mean for, you know, we talked earlier about like planning for every contingency on a trip of like, well, did I pack my Neosporin? You know, uh, (laughs) but, but like here we are like in our own home and there's no contingency plan. There is no content. The contingency plan is call the, uh, the air, the AC repair guy back. Well, guess what? He just started, he's got one helper and he just started a job that's going to take him three days. And by the way, the storms are rolling in. Oh yeah. And like, you're probably not the only person with that problem. Right. And now it's going to be raining and the work that he has to do is outside and he can't do that in the rain because there's some kind of moisture issue with refilling the the refrigerant. So like now the weather, something as stupid as the weather is making it so that I'm not going to have air for two more days because it's raining. We can't beat the weather. It's 2015 and there's nothing that we can do. That's also when you really start to, you talk about your grandfather, the metallurgist and, uh, and people who like know how to do things and make things. That's also when I feel so incompetent. We're like, not only could I not fix this problem right, or this panoply of problems, not only could I not fix it, I really would not even be that good at analyzing the problem. And I'm not even sure who to call. I would have to check the neighborhood newsletter to know which people to call to just tell me how screwed I am. Yeah. So much, you know, what we're talking about in all of these things is abstraction. I mean, we're talking about traveling or your house or whatever. Yeah. It's all these levels of unknown and abstraction and how you deal with it. And if you think about it, the really crazy part, whether that's your sustainable fish in Las Vegas or your air conditioning in Austin, the truly crazy part of it is how often it does seem to work without breaking. Mm-hmm. That's, that's kind of the most amazing part in some ways is that you're not in a tarantula and mosquito ridden hothouse like, all, all the, the time. time. I know. All no, I know. I think about that. You got the air working for a couple hours. We should be good. You know, every, every time I start my car, 
I think I, and I, I'm not exaggerating almost every single time I start my car, I think to myself, I can't believe this thing started. And like, it's a relatively new car, but still like the, I, because growing up, our cars never started. Like we always had problems with our cars and it was always, they wouldn't start. Oh, well, the battery went, well, the alternator went, well, and, you know, like we grew up pretty poor and we didn't have like great cars and there were always problems with the car starting or just things stop, things not working. And it seems like somehow between now and the 1970s, things have gotten much, much more reliable without me realizing how much more reliable they got with as many problems as I have on a day-to-day basis with these devices that we keep in our pockets and uh, software related issues here and there. It's still striking that like airplanes talking about traveling again, like airplanes fly and they just, I, yeah. they work. And if one engine goes out, you got the other one, you could still fly and land it. Like what? I, I agree with the airplanes. There are a lot of people maintaining it, but I totally agree with you on the automobile part because whether you had money or not, and we didn't have a lot of it when we were in the same position, but they didn't seem like you were kind of always going to the mechanic. Always. Like even if you had like a relatively new car, you were always having something done or something checked out. There was a, you know, there was some kind of a sound. There was a rattle. Mm-hmm. The steering wheel felt loose. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Just, just the dawn of electronics in cars. So like the electronics could be going weird. Uh, there'd be all kinds of things where it felt like, you know, we had a pretty good, you had to have a relationship with a mechanic because your car had to go to the mechanic a lot. Right. So my wife bought, or sorry, I guess Lee started this, got this car like a year and a half ago. And it's been someplace twice. And that was just for like the annual check-in. Right. That's it. That's you it. You go in for like a morning and they look at it and go, yep, still a VW. See you next year. And like, that's, that's all she, it's, and it's mind blowing to me. It's not a fashionable car. It's not a sexy car, but like, it's never given us a single problem. And it's, it's, that's ponderous to me. Cause I think about like how often when we had like the nadir of this was my stepfather's, uh, what was it? A Chrysler, like a New Yorker, just this boat of a car. Right. One of those, and it's one of those ridiculous cars that wanted to be a four door, but it was a two door. So the doors are like seven feet long and weighed like 700 pounds. <laughs> yeah. You know, and you, you just behead a, an infant in that thing. Like so crazy, so heavy. Everything was so, the eight track didn't work. Like everything was always broken. The windows, the power windows made it even heavier. So like, I don't know. I, I agree with you though. That, that is the, that is the really the puzzling part is when you get to, or think about your computer. I mean, you know, if, if everything's mostly working right, like, or an iPhone for that matter, I guess now we're getting into dangerous territory. Yeah, right. It is, it is, it is, it is pretty amazing. I, I tweeted about this yesterday, but how weird it is to me that like I was sitting there reading X-Men comics on a 13 inch tablet. Right. While my, while my daughter was drawing on continuous feed computer paper. It was so, so strange. It's, like, ba- it's, it's like backwards. Yeah, it's weird how the future the future got here fast and then wasn't what we expected. Uh, I had some. Uh, I had a, can I ask you a question? Go ahead, Colin. Uh, uh, I'd like to hear about uh, something that you like, especially if it involves making my life easier for invoicing. It definitely does. It is FreshBooks. Do you love the idea of being your own boss? And I love the idea. I love of being that idea. Own. But like the paperwork, the invoicing, the keeping track of expenses. And so many people, they're like, they're still using spreadsheets or, you know, like Word documents to make invoices. And that, I mean, that works. But if you do this more than once or twice every year, you're going to want something better. Stay out of the game. That's what I'm all about. That's my motto. Every morning I wake up, staying out of the game. 
Is that what you do? That's you look in the mirror like Bob Fosse, you're smoking a cigarette, and you go, stay out of the game. Yep. Hmm. Well, FreshBooks is, is the way to do that. It is a simple, intuitive system that makes it so easy to send invoices. And when you send the invoices, it's going to track them. It's going to send them. So with one client, it needs to go to three different contacts over at that company. Cool. FreshBooks will handle all that for you. This other, this other one, it's just one person. It'll do that, send it right to them. And it lets you see when they've received and opened and viewed those invoices because it has a tracking system. And if they are also using FreshBooks or if the person who's invoicing you is also using FreshBooks, it catches that and integrates it all so that when you click that link, it'll say, hey, this person's using FreshBooks too. Can you want me to just show their invoices from now on when you log in? Yes, do that. It allows you to accept payment. I mean, all of this stuff is built in. It even has multi-currency invoicing. If you're working with international international folks, I mean, like it's all there, automated late payment reminders so that you'll get paid faster. And that's what they're all about, helping you get paid, helping you get paid faster. It integrates with tons of other apps that you probably already use. You're sending newsletters with MailChimp, you're using Basecamp, Zendesk, Google Apps, like it integrates with all of that. And their support people are always there to help out if you need a real live human to do that for you. They've got you covered. Go to freshbooks.com, freshbooks.com slash back to work and enter back to work in the how did you hear about us section when you sign up. Really, really fantastic service. Uh, love these guys. Go check them out. Freshbooks.com slash back to work. Here's my... Uh there's so I, I first of all I love FreshBooks. You turn me on to it. I really like it a lot. And now I really recommend it to lots of people. There's not many people I don't recommend it to. It costs money each month for it for the service, but then you know what? It does all the work for you, and it does stuff that's not gonna you're not gonna get out of Microsoft Word and spreadsheets. So I want to highlight two things. Um, but I'm good this week, huh? Really, really, it's like the old days. I'm talking about the sponsors. I know. Here's my two things for you. First of all, uh, go into your FreshBooks account, go into settings and go into accept credit cards. Make sure you go in and check out any of the options that might work for how you want to get paid. I, I don't know if people talk about this enough. Something you need to understand about FreshBooks, it's not just an invoicing service. They also have payment gateways. So this, <laughs> I'm going to explain this very slowly because this is very important. If, if you send somebody okay, an attachment with a Microsoft Word document, there's no button they can mash on in a PDF to pay you. Like that's not going to work unless you've got a whole other thing. This is all integrated. So you can go in. Here's what you can do. You can set, you can set up your PayPal account. You can set up your Stripe account. You can set up a FreshBooks account to hook it up to your bank account. Authorize.net, the wonderful Braintree. Braintree is so great. You can go in and set up any of those. So you can basically say, like, here's how I'd like to be paid. Here's how I'm willing to be paid. And then they can choose from that and find the easiest way to pay you. For little things where you're just sending out, oh, you make a web, website for somebody for $5, you send that out and say, pay me via PayPal. There's a big button they can click and right. pay you right from there. So cool. That's, that's one tip. My other tip is, uh, early, do this to motivate yourself early in the project. If you're starting a new project and maybe, you know, maybe there's an invoice that you send for a down payment, go in and start and, and go in and put start creating the invoice for what you need to do early on. And remember also, this has time tracking. So like really use this to go track your time against the project. You can see what projects are making you money, which ones aren't. But that can be very motivating to go in and you don't send it, but go in and create the invoice at the beginning of the project. And now you remember you're really working for yourself. Done. Freshbooks.com slash back Go check them out. Enjoy your invoice. <laughs> Your turducken is cooked as regards chicken, duck, turkey, not complete. Rye bread loaf of birds, not complete. 
Click to continue. <laughs> Skip intro. <laughs> Is this your first time with us? Would you have time for a short survey? <laughs> Rate this app. I'm excited. I don't know. I'm excited about the turducken. It's a different, Woo! different thing. Can't wait to hear about it. You know what else is cool is if you, uh, if you get salmonella, uh, it'll be like a fun guessing game. It'll be like a game show. You go to the emergency room, you say, like, I'm puking my guts out and I need to sit down a lot, making the squirts. And they say, what did you eat? And you say, I had three different birds stuffed into each other. They say, that's really strange. I can't believe that caused you any problems. Do you suppose that people uh, get salmonella problems from their, their turkeys? Well, yeah. I've never, that's never happened to me. Well, they had to kill a whole bunch of them. First of all, uh, the, the, the ones that we get at Thanksgiving are all ladybirds. Like the president's wife. Okay. <laughs> and uh, they had to throw a ton of them away this year because of salmonella. But the other thing is, one reason it, it pays, it is worth paying a little bit extra for like pretty good ground beef is you're not getting that situation where it's like 35 different cows all mashed up together. Mm. Like you just basically st- statistics, like the chance of one of those having salmonella getting introduced into the entire mix. And this is, you got three different animals stuffed into each other and sliced. But don't you, don't you just cook it? I mean, you can. I think it's a good idea. I would not. I would not have like uh, turducken sushis. No, Mm-mm-mm. I think I think salmonella. Uh, if 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 you cook it, if it's heated, then it's fine. All you have to do is cook it through. Uh, yeah. You know, you're gonna have to talk to uh, Doctor Donald Schaffner about that. Mm-hmm. You should do that. You should talk to him about turkeys. We should see, he probably has a very special episode of his food safety podcast where he, uh, he is, it, is it Ben, his, uh, his buddy, yeah, uh, yep. talk about it? Yeah. A hundred and, for those listening, 165 degrees. If it's 165 throughout or higher, you, you've killed all the seminar. Yes, but you should listen to the very special episode of that program where I was on yeah. and they explained the whole matrix to me, the way that the, way that the, the heating uh, thing works. Because the whole matrix of like how, what temperature and how long, yeah. it's way more complicated. 160 basically, forgive me if I'm getting this wrong, do not use this for legal reasons. Right. But the whole 160 thing is just a dumb way of saying, if it's 160, you're probably pretty safe. Doesn't mean it's going to be any good, but you've probably cooked the junk out of it at that temperature. But to really understand like what you're doing when you're cooking something, well, first of all, I'll go listen to their podcast, which I think is called the Food Safety Podcast. Yep. Also, time for my annual recommendation of uh, the Harold McGee book on food and cooking, which you can probably get from your library, but you could also uh, buy on the Amazon. And it's a really great book about uh, cooking and science and why food tastes good and how temperature works and also butter. Love butter. Helped a lot of people this week, Dan. I know it. Uh, you got anything else? No, nope, that's it for me, man. It's good for me, too. Look at that. Just exactly an hour and 30 minutes. Boom. Perfect. Perfect. Well, have a happy Thanksgiving. Thank you. And thank you. And happy Thanksgiving also to, uh, to uh, both of our listeners. Anybody who's out there, <laughs> I got one thing to say. Enjoy your meal. <laughs> right, let's button this up. I love you. Love you, too, Merlin, man. 